So I was listening to a, an NPR piece uh, this week. I do a lot of podcasts because I like to learn um, from a lot of different teachers. And, uh, and, and this one happened to be on quantum mechanics. Some of you know I, I, I'm kind of a science buff. I'm married to a microbiologist, so I like science. And, and, uh, and, and I've told you before that on a quantum level, on the smallest levels of the universe, um, there is a dynamic called entanglement. Entanglement. Let me say, I'll, I'll, you know, this is just a, a layman's way of understanding, but if you have two independent atoms and, and you, you punch one of them, a photon will come floating out. This is, um, and, and, and so if you get, punch the other one, another, and, and if you have a laser, you can connect those two. Now watch. And so those atoms become what they call entangled. And what that means is when, when something happens to one of them, instantly there's a reaction in the other. It's also happening to the other one. This is provable. This has been proven time and time again with distances as great as 88 miles. You separate atoms 88 miles, you tickle one, the other laughs. I mean, I, that's a metaphor, but yet you understand. And, 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 and supposedly the, 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 this could be an eternal distance and it would still, they would still be entangled. Now, it goes on from there to discuss some neurobiology. There are some people whose brains are wired to literally feel what's happening to other people. Literally. They know this because they've done the, EK, uh, the, the EEG, I'm sorry. Um, and they see the reaction in these brains. There are people who, when you eat something, they can taste it. I mean, literally, physically taste it. And, 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 and this is called, by the way, uh, mirror touch synesthesia. Synesthesia. S-Y-N uh, means uh, um, together. Synesthesia. And, and it's a condition. And you think, well, that would be a miserable condition. It really is. Because you begin to lose your own sense of self. And, 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 and you can't just encounter. Now, uh, let me, I'm going to get to parables in just a second. <laughs> give, me, give me a second here. This really is relevant. If God has constructed the universe in order to become, in order to be entangled at the smallest levels of existence, if God has constructed our brains so that we can somewhat be entangled with each other. See, you take the mere touch synesthesia all the way down to the, to the, to the spectrum of, of autism. And, and you see the various connections. Some of you don't have that, but you know what it's like to love so much that when they hurt, you hurt, literally. When they're hurt, Physically, you're hurt. When, when, when they laugh, you're so joyous inside. You know that level of entanglement personally and emotionally. Now, let's get to the parables. Let's say, because it's true, that in Christianity we understand the truth not to be a concept, but to be a person. All right? Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And so the truth is not just an intellectual concept to which we assent. The truth 
in Christianity is actually a person. And God is, is, is not just a being, he's a relationship. And the gospel is not to give you a certain um, a perspective of theological knowledge. It is to draw you into a relationship with God. All right? You with me so far? What would be the best way to communicate that? I mean, is it a concrete moral instruction? If so, then God would have sent a whole bunch more commandments that we had to live up to. No. Is it more religious knowledge? No. If so, then God would have sent a, 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 a you know, some sort of Gnostic encyclopedic volume of everything you need to know about God. But God sent a person. And his nature is love. You know the quickest way to get what knowledge really is to somebody? Somebody said there's two ways, two ways of, of conveying knowledge. One is to push out information, and the other is to draw you into a story. I would submit to you that Jesus spoke in parables, not just because he wanted to teach us, but because he wanted to entangle us. We experience stories. Stories are, are, are that which help us participate with whoever you're telling the story about. That's why in Mark chapter 4, verse 33 and 34, this is what it says. It says, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear. You get a little bit more every time. And he did not speak to them without a parable, without a story. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So we are going to spend the next 10 weeks on the parables of Jesus, not just to give us more religious knowledge, but to help us to see how to participate with God, how to draw close to God, how to experience life with Christ. When I was called into the ministry, I was called into the ministry to tell stories. I, some of you have heard this, but not all of you have. I was, I was part of the civil rights movement, and when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, I came to a crisis of faith. It was an existential crisis for me. And that was at the time, that was the time that I, that I, I went to the middle of my college campus, Ohio University, and knelt down in this little generic chapel, Goldberg Chapel, and I gave my whole life to Christ. Now, after that happened, and I didn't know what to do then. After that happened, I began to have a recurring dream, night after night. And the recurring dream was of an incident that had happened in my childhood that I had not remembered since it had happened. And this was the incident. I was six or seven years old. My dad had died when I was four. I, was, I, didn't, have, I didn't have a dad, another dad yet. And so my mom was raised as a single mom and... and, and but this particular occasion, she had some ladies over to play cards or talk or something. I don't, I don't even know what it was. Now, when I was growing up, I had this great storyteller uncle, Uncle Max. Greatest storyteller 
ever walk the face of the earth. I mean, Uncle Max would walk in a room and people would just start smiling because they knew they're going to hear a great joke. Uncle Max was a salesman to truck drivers. Now, this is relevant because jokes you tell to truck drivers are not always the greatest jokes and wouldn't be the same jokes you would tell to a ladies group. I did not know that. I didn't get the jokes in the first place. But I remember when my mom would leave the room, I would run in and I would tell a joke to all those ladies. And those, their eyes got this big, but they couldn't help but laugh their heads off. And my mother would come in and be so embarrassed and shoo me out of the room and I'd go out of the room until she left the room again. And then I'd go back in and tell another joke because I'd love to make people laugh, you know? I didn't know they were embarrassing everybody at the same time, but I didn't, you know? And then she'd shoo me out. And then well, on one of those trips out, I was rounding the corner of my house. I can still see it as plain as day. And some woman's voice, I don't know who it was. By the way, don't ever doubt the power of your words. God can use your words when you don't even know it in the most powerful, life-changing way. Watch your tongue. Your words are powerful. And so I'm rounding the corner, and this is the voice I hear from one of those ladies. Still don't know who she was. You know, he's a little guy, but he can tell a pretty good story. That's the dream I had night after night. I was rounding that corner. I was six years old, and I heard that lady's voice night after night after night. And I decided that God wanted me to tell stories. More specifically, stories that had to do with him. And that's why all of my sermons are full of stories. Because I wasn't just called to the ministry in general. I was called to the ministry of storytelling. So i got to tell you, this next 10 weeks were one of my favorite times. Because we're going to get to hear the stories of Jesus. It's very important to understand that God's strategy fits with the structure of how he made us. Because as Pete was saying, if you want to give somebody information, you can lecture them. But as soon as you start a story, once upon a time, you've got them. A sower went out to sow. What happened then? A man had two sons. What were they like? A certain man went down and fell among robbers and thieves. What happened then? You see? It says in, in, in Matthew chapter 13... Verses 34 and 35. Watch this. It says they're ingrained in us and ingrained in the story of the, of the universe. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He did not speak to them without a parable. There it is again. He always had a story. He was always telling stories. It's what he did. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Look at these words. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, I want you to stop and think about this just for a second. 
I've been telling you for a long time now, and I'll keep on telling you, that you are no accident. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb. Your days were ordained when there was not yet as one of them. You were made and planned from the foundation of the world. How are you going to find out why? Curiously enough, it's going to be through stories. It's going to be through God's stories. Because God's stories seem to be about other people, but they're really about you. Fred Craddock is one of the greatest uh, teachers. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but he was one of the greatest teachers of preachers ever. And, and, and he wrote this book called Overhearing the Gospel, The Method of Jesus' Teaching. And this is what he said, essentially. Jesus never just went up to people and got in their face and started calling out their sins. You know why? It's singularly ineffective. As soon as you have this, you do this. A wall goes up. It's all gone. You can accuse. You can get mad. It's all gone. But you start telling a story. That, that isn't, it's, it's about somebody else. And people, people are always interested, what, what happens? And you start overhearing that story. And you get right in the middle of the story. And here's what you think. Wait. That's me. That's what Jesus did. You know, it doesn't even have to be a religious story. Many of the greatest fairy tales are, are built around religious themes and religious characters. We just don't realize it. They hearken us back to the Bible. Many of them are being made into movies these days. Beauty and the Beast. If you take that whole thing loosely, you've got this beauty who sees in someone what the world can't see. This person is a person of great power and is caught in a role of anger and frustration and could very well do something very bad. You know, there was a character in a Bible of great beauty. Her name was Esther. And she was married to this king who had a great deal of power. The custom back then was just to eliminate whole people groups. And so this beauty went in, risking her own life, but loving so well that she brought that person of power to a nobler end. Esther, the beauty. There's another story we love to tell, the fairy tale, Cinderella. <laughs> this little no-account girl, you know, nothing special. She just tried to make it every day, you know, just trying to do what she needed to do. Not a great deal of respect, very humble beginnings. But in this story, she is picked for this unbelievable role. There was another little girl in Scripture. Average little girl. 
Her name was Mary. Who was astounded that she would be chosen not to marry a prince, but to mother a king, the king of kings. Do you see the archetypal stories, figures? There was a, there was a little boy who used to be a puppet. And by magic, he was transformed into this little boy. His name was Pinocchio. And in this story, after he became a little boy, as happens to little boys, he didn't go just do what he needed to do. He got waylaid. He got tempted. He got on the wrong path, following the wrong voice. And ultimately, he winds up in the belly of a great fish, a whale. It ends well. After he gets out of the whale, he does what's right. But we all know there was another boy. His name was Jonah, who was trying to escape his responsibility from God because it was too hard. And he, he kind of got waylaid <laughs> till he got in the belly of a great fish. Then he kind of figured he better do what he ought to do. There was another boy who found some magic beans. His name was Jack. And the result of those beans was that he had to face a giant. Was it Jack or was it David? It was both. The point is this, that biblical stories don't just point back to the foundations of an archetype from the beginning of the world, they point forward to you, <laughs> to me. See, each of us, each of us knows somehow that we have the ability to see in someone what the world doesn't see and to love them in a way that overcomes all of the ugliness and has a chance of calling them to their greatest self. All of us know what it is to feel ordinary, ill-equipped, even to do the job we've been given to do, but to somehow be called by God into a role that would make a difference, a role that no one else can do. All of us know what it is to get off the beaten path, to get waylaid, and to find ourselves in a terrible fix because of it, and to be given a second chance to get out of the belly of that fish and answer a higher call. All of us know what it is, and some of you right now are facing a giant in your life. And I don't know what that giant is. It could be relational. It could be financial. It could be medical. But for all intents and purposes, it should beat you to a pulp.
But somehow you know, if with David's words and David's spirit, this battle is not yours. It's God's. Somehow, if you know that that giant isn't facing you, he's facing the one who is for you. Nothing can come against you. Somehow you know that, and you know it because of stories. You see, that's what the Bible is. It's stories. There's some historical narrative. There's some poetry. There's, there's, there's moral instruction. There's wisdom. But, but basically, it's the story of person after person who was trying to respond to God. And when they ran out of real stories, they made up stories. And they called them parables because the parables were just as true as the physical stories. And so in this next 10 weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be exploring that. Because you know what? Here's the deal. The world teaches you to measure your life in all the wrong ways. It teaches you to measure your life as to who won and who lost. It teaches you to measure your life and are you accumulating more or are you losing what you have? It teaches you to measure your life as to whether or not your side has more power. That's not how God measures life. That's not how God measures life. Let me just dip into the first of the parables, okay? And then I'll tell you a couple of stories. It says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, here's one of the parables. It's not just an analogy. It's a story. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from the joy over it, from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, hold that in your memory because I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, all right? This weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day was a big deal in my family. <laughs> in Shelby, Ohio, we had a Memorial Day parade. And the kids decorated their... their um, Bikes with crepe paper and, 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 and the marching band came out and the Shriners on their little motorcycles and, and, and we always ended up in the same place, in the cemetery. And the mayor would make a speech and, you know, the choir would sing and some little girl or boy would get up and give a speech and immediately throw up afterwards. It was, it was annual. And then after that ceremony was over, after the American Legion had fired the 21-gun salute, we went out to the graves. Every veteran's grave had a little flag on it. And we realized 
that war was not about who won or lost. War was about somebody who loved greater than themselves. I saw this week, you may have seen it too on television, this little vignette of this guy. Can you remember where he's from or remember his name? But what he does is he goes and he scrubs clean the gravestones of veterans. He's never served in the military himself, but somehow he wanted to honor those who did. And so he scrubs them clean. And then he gets their name and he Googles their name and he he sees if he can find out more about them. Because somehow he wants to remember what the world has probably forgotten. That in every war, there weren't just two sides. There were people who cared more about their country than they cared about themselves. There were people who died because they were willing, glad to sacrifice their lives so that those they loved could have life. And it makes you think of the one who did exactly that, the one whose grave is empty. There's something in this world that is worth more than everything we have because it can't be measured by anything we have. That treasure in that field, I'm going to name it, spoiler alert, Jesus It's Jesus who is worth more than everything we have. Watch, but you can't afford Jesus. There's nothing that we have that could ever pay enough for Jesus. Just like that man couldn't afford that treasure. If he just picked the treasure out, says, who does this treasure belong to? Guaranteed he didn't have enough money for the treasure. But you keep it in the field. And you buy the field because people don't know there's a treasure there. The world doesn't know about Jesus. I mean, it does, but it doesn't know who, who he really is. You buy the field. What's the field? field is the kingdom of God. And for joy, everything we do to fit ourselves to the kingdom of God will center back in on that treasure. And we know what life is really about. You go to a cemetery, you'll see a field of tombstones. But the field is really about those that are there, watch this, and the eternal life they could have had with Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. And so as we go into this 10 weeks, let me tell you one more story. Because it harkens back to Jesus. And it kind of summarizes what we're going for here as we dig deeper together. By the way, I just love this new, this new thing here. 
where we actually have the digging deeper piece with us every week. And, and, uh, and if you don't have people you can go through it with and you want to come show up Thursday night, we'll, we'll match you up. One of my favorite stories <laughs> is a short story by Bret Hart called The the luck of the roaring camp. And it's, it's about the old west. I love old west. I'm a cowboy guy. I love old, I look ridiculous in a cowboy hat, but, but I'm a cowboy guy. And I, I love stories about the old west. And this was the, this was the roughest, rootless, tootinous mining town in all of the west. And, and, and these rough old miners, it had the highest incidence of gun violence, the highest incidence of alcoholism, the highest incidence of fisticuffs, violence, people beating each other to a pulp. I mean, I mean, you talk about some degrading circumstances. It was in this mine, in miners town in spades. And everyone that was there was a man except for one gal, Cherokee Sal. Tierkisa was her name. And she tried to be nice to the gentleman. But she died giving birth. And the baby survived. And in this story, these rough old miners see that baby. And, and they say, well, well, what do we do? So they, they put it in a box with oily rags because at least the rags were, were soft and Somebody said, well, somebody get some milk or something. So they, they try to feed it, and, and the baby's surviving. And, and so finally, one of them says, well, that's not right. She ought to be in that old box. You know, I'm going to go to a town and buy a cradle because a baby ought to have a cradle. And so he rides 80 miles to a town and buys this baby. She's a little girl. A rosewood cradle. Beautiful. Another one of these rough old guys looks in there and says, well, those, those rags don't look right. You know, girls, they ought to have some lace and some silk. I, I heard that somewhere. So he goes to Sacramento, comes back with his lace and silk, and, 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 and the baby's thriving, and, and they layer in, in silk and lace sheets in a rosewood cradle and then they notice something the floor is filthy well they can't have that little girl on a filthy floor good grief so they all get down and they start scrubbing the floor then when they get the clean floor they notice how dirty the walls are and then the walls show them how dirty the curtains are and they're fixing up stuff all over the place they love this little girl they love her so much they're going to cart her out to when they go into the mines so that they can see her when they get out of the mines. And when they put her down, they notice something. The ground's just all rough and stubbly. And, you know, little girls ought to have some flowers, so they plant a flower garden. Beautiful, beautiful little flower garden. And, the, and, and they come out and they bring her shiny stones from the mine. Only when they put them in the cradle, they notice how dirty their hands are. And so instantly, the general store is sold out of soap and even shaving kits. Oh, didn't I tell you, in the meantime, nobody's shooting one another 
You know why? Because he didn't wake up the baby. And so I'm not going to shoot you. I want to shoot you. But I don't want to wake up the baby. And people are fighting less because it's a poor example for the baby. And people are drinking less because it's a poor example for the baby. And of course, the whole idea is that they didn't just save the baby. The baby saved them. It harkens back to another baby born in squalor that if you love it, he changes your whole life. Stories. God gives us stories. Let me pray. Lord, you made us not just to learn, but to become entangled in your story, realizing your story is really our story. So as you teach us, by helping us get involved in these wonderful parables in a way that we not only recognize ourselves, but we recognize another way to live so that we can be fitted to who Jesus is. Help us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us. We are your disciples. We want to learn, but we also want to be close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.